The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Pleasure, a privilege to be here with you to, to worship our God together. I am thankful for your prayers for us as we endeavor to, uh, to tr- plant a church in Bozeman. I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And, uh, and truly thankful to your elders for the privilege to preach the word of God, to stand in this pulpit. Um, that's not a small thing. And I don't take that lightly, so I do uh, I thank you for the privilege, uh, humbling, uh, humbling to do so. Uh, but again, open your Bibles with me as we turn to the Word of God, this time to 2 Corinthians. The passage this afternoon is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. Here, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 is declaring to us and demonstrating the excellency of the ministry of the new covenant. Because in the new covenant, we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that is what I want us to see this evening, how we can behold the glory of God in Christ. We'll read from verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end? Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness was far exceed it in glory. Indeed, indeed, in this case, Well, once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who had put on a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Let us again pray and seek the Lord's help this afternoon. Let's pray. Oh, our gracious triune God, we thank you that we could come into your presence this day this Lord's Day that you have set apart for your glory, a day of worship and a day of rest. We thank you that we can come into your presence to hear the glorious gospel of God. And by faith through your word, and the power of your spirit, we're enabled to behold your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we ask as we hear your word preached, that you would indeed give us a sight of his glory. That as we behold his glory in the gospel, 
you would transform us. You would conform us into his image. And beholding his glory that our hearts move to love him more. And to honor you as our great God. Work by your spirit. For our good and your glory. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. It has been said, we become what we worship. G.K. Beale says, what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. And so our worship, at which we revere and honor and adore, it's aimed at either our ruin, our destruction, or aimed at our restoration in Christ. That which we love and set our affections upon, we are becoming. The psalmist says, Psalm 115, those who make them idols become like them. Well, in the same way that we say we become what we worship, we could say we become what we behold. We are creatures created by God to behold the glory of God. And whatever we behold, we are being transformed by this sight. God created us to behold his glory in creation. He created us to to behold his glory and to be drawn to his glory. In fact, as creatures, we are drawn to what we perceive to be the good, the true, and the beautiful. Either for our ruin or restoration, that which is good and true and beautiful we will run after, we will set our heart upon. We know this in creation. We behold a glorious sunset or a smile of a child. And our hearts, right, they're filled with affections. We perceive the beauty of the, of the glory of our loved ones, our spouse. And our hearts are moved towards them, towards what we perceive to be good. Our hearts go out to the, what we perceive to be beautiful. But not only does this happen with what is truly good and beautiful, is the same thing happens with sin. What what sinful creatures, when we behold what is sinful, when we have an inornate desire for what is beautiful, our hearts are turned away from God towards sin. This is what takes place. We become what we behold. So we have to ask ourselves this afternoon, What are you beholding? What are you setting your mind, your thoughts, your your heart upon? What are you setting your affections upon? We're either beholding the glory of God and are drawn to Him to revere, love, and honor Him as God. Or we are setting our hearts and affections upon the world. To revere the world. Being filled and conformed by the patterns of this world. What are we beholding? See, brothers and sisters, God has revealed himself in the gospel so that we would behold his glory and our hearts would be satisfied in him. The last book that John Owen wrote, I've quoted him a couple times today. My son's named Owen as well. I love reading John Owen. Uh, John Owen, one of the last books that he was published, it was actually published as he was dying, was on the glory of Christ. His whole ministry was about the glory of Jesus. In fact, that's the ministry of the new covenant. In it, he says, the beholding the glory of Christ is one of the greatest privileges that 
believers are capable of in this world or even in that which is to come. This is the greatest privilege that we are created for in this world by faith or by sight in the next. Isn't this what we see throughout the scriptures? God's people enjoying the glory of God. Moses desired to behold the glory of God even if it was just a glimpse of his backside. Isaiah has this vision of God high and lifted up. John says he's beholding the glory of Christ. And he's brought low to confession of sin before him. We see Peter, James, and John in awe of the transfigured Jesus. We see Paul blinded by the light of the glory of the resurrected Christ. Adam walked with God in the garden and beheld his glory. What will we do in the new creation? We will see God face to face, Revelation says. We will behold the glory of God. We were created to behold and in beholding to reflect God's glory. And so in our passages this afternoon, Paul proclaims to us. He proclaims to us a far better sight and glory than anything else in the world. Yes, there are many wonderful things in this world, created things, beautiful things that we are to look upon and see their beauty and praise God for it. But all other beauties and glories we behold in the world are rooted in the one who is glorious. They're rooted in God himself. And so Paul wants us and compels us here, exhorts us to behold the glory of God in Christ and to truly be satisfied. He proclaims to us the far surpassing glory of Christ in the new covenant. And in doing so, he's calling us, brothers and sisters, to continue to set our gaze upon him. This is what we get to do every Lord's Day. We get to gather back in the presence of God to behold his glory and to go away reflecting his glory to the world. And he calls us again to behold his glory. So this afternoon, we'll consider how the Lord Jesus Christ promises to transform his people by giving us a sight of his glory in the gospel. We become what we behold. And we'll see this just in three points once again. Firstly, let's consider the object of our beholding. Paul seeks to demonstrate the supremacy of the new covenant by pointing us to the object of the new covenant, the one we behold in the new covenant. He proclaims to us this far surpassing glory of the new covenant. For in it, everyone in the new covenant beholds the glory of God in Christ. What Moses had, what Moses longed for, is actually received by everyone in the new covenant. That the glory of the old covenant was pointing beyond itself. We, we saw that this morning it was anticipating something greater. It was looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. It was looking to the glory of the Spirit and the far surpassing glory of the new covenant through the blood of Christ. But as we come to 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, verse 18 echoes Exodus 34, 34, where Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him. He would take the veil off until he came out. Moses was in the presence of God. He was 
beholding the glory of God. It was, it was a mediated glory. It wasn't beholding the very essence of the incomprehensible God. It was, a, it was mediated to him. But he still beheld God's glory in order to reflect it. But as Moses went down out of the presence of God, he had to put a veil on. I think sometimes when we think that Paul, or excuse me, Moses puts the veil on, we think it's because the glory was too great for Israel to see. That it was this great glory that he wants to hide it from, from Israel. It's too great. Only he could experience it. What Paul says, it wasn't because it was a greater glory. It was actually because it lacked something. As Paul, or excuse me, Paul, as Moses, Paul and Moses, they had the same ministry pointing to Christ, but Moses here. As Moses went down the mountain, he puts the veil on because the glory was fading away. It lacked something. It lacked permanence. It lacked the, he didn't want Israel to see the glory fading away and be discouraged by that sight. So he puts a veil over his face so they wouldn't see the inferior glory of the old covenant. But this is not how it is in the new covenant. In the new covenant, we have unveiled faces. We behold the glory of God through Christ. Everyone in the new covenant now has the sight that Moses has, a greater sight, as we behold what he longed for, the Lord Jesus. The old covenant was looking forward to the permanent sight of the glory of God which we have in the gospel. But what was it that Moses was beholding? He was beholding the glory of God. Exodus 33, Moses beheld the glory of the Lord as he passed by him. You remember the account. He longs to behold the glory of God. Show me your glory. And he tells him to hide behind the rock, stand behind there, and I will pass by you. And how did the Lord reveal the glory, his glory to Moses? By proclaiming his name to him. He passed by the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful. He passes by and proclaims his name because the name of God is synonymous with his glory, his character, who he is. He proclaims his very name, his glory. And so what is the glory of God? The glory of God is not just one attribute of God. God isn't made up of parts. He doesn't have various attributes, and you put them all together and piece it together like a puzzle. No, God just is God. He is glorious. The glory of God, one Puritan said, is the the sparkle of the divine. It's the beauty of the divine essence of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Another Puritan, Edward Lee, he spoke of the glory of God as the infinite excellency of his divine excellence. We're kind of at a loss for words. We're talking about God's glory, all the scriptures revealing it. It's just the infinite excellency of who he is. Boving says it's the splendor and brilliance of God's perfection. It's the sum of who our God is. He just is glorious, has all glory in and of himself, our confession states. The word for glory, it speaks of the weight of a thing. The heavier something was, the more value it had. You put it on a scale. You put the heavier the gold bars are on the scale, the more worth it had. It was glorious. Well, our God tips the scales of infinite worth, infinite value. This is who he is. He is glorious. 
or the Greek word for glory speaks of renown and honor or majesty. It's the splendor of a king. So when we speak of the glory of God and beholding his glory, we're speaking of beholding his worth, his honor, his majesty, the sparkle of the divine, his infinite excellency of who he is as God. And brothers and sisters, every one of us in the new covenant through faith in Christ, we behold the glory of God in Christ. The incomprehensible God who is glorious has made himself known. He's revealed himself to us, Paul says, as in a mirror. That is, we don't have a direct sight. It says in a mirror, it's a dim and mediated sight doesn't mean it's not a true sight. It is a true and real sight of who God is mediated to us as in a mirror. We haven't seen the full consummation of it, but we receive it by faith. In fact, mirrors in this time were, were really poor. First century, they reflected dimly and poorly. Think of mirrors today. You stand in front of a, a nice mirror at a store. It makes you look good in everything you put on. You're, it's a nice mirror. This is, that's not what he's getting at. He's saying this is a dim sight. It's mediated. We have a far better sight coming. But we have a true sight nonetheless. Through the gospel, by faith, we behold the glory of God through this mediation. And so Moses' experience on the mountain is fulfilled in every Christian as we look to Christ. Sometimes when we read the scripture, we say, well, well Moses was there. He, he beheld the face of God. If I was only there on the mountain. Oh, we've come to a greater mountain. Not to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion. To the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator of a new and better covenant. Our sight is better than what Moses experienced. And every one of us through faith in Christ, we have that same experience. Unveiled face, beholding. The incomprehensible glory of God mediated to us through Christ. And it has to be mediated. God is incomprehensibly great. Scripture says no one can see him and live. No one can behold the essence of God. It's an infinite beauty. And yet God has condescended to us. Stoops down to give us this sight. John in his gospel says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. No one has ever seen God, the, the fullness of God. It's immediated. It's a promise in the old covenant. And yet with the coming of Christ, he says Jesus makes him known to us. He makes known to us the greatness of God, God himself. The psalmist says, In his light we see light. The light of the glory of God. And so we behold the glory of our triune God in the face of Jesus. Paul in chapter 4 and verse 4 will give a, a specific reference to speak about what it means to behold the glory of the Lord. Now in chapter 4, it's the glory of Christ. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. From keeping them, or to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We see that the sight is the glory of Jesus. The glory 
of Christ in the gospel. And so we are blinded because of our own sin, but because of the grace of God, because of this light that comes by His Spirit, we're restored to see light. He says that in verse 6 of chapter 4. He says, For God said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. There is where we behold the object of God's glory. The object of our beholding is the glory of God in the face of Jesus. As he's proclaimed in the gospel. The glory of God in the gospel of Christ is made known. And we are enabled to see it. Because of the light of his spirit. And so our sight of God comes to us in the sun as he's clothed in our humanity. There's no sight of God's glory apart from the incarnate Christ. That is what Moses was longing for. That's the mediated sight. It was looking forward to the incarnation where God is clothed in our humanity. That Jesus is the revelation of the glory of God. He's the very image and word of God. He's the exact representation of his nature. And so as Jesus assumes our flesh, he comes as the very picture of God to us. Here is God in the flesh to give us a sight of his glory. He is the light of the world so that by beholding him in the gospel, we come to behold not just the Son, we behold the Son in his glory. But through the Son, we behold one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. We behold God. We behold the glory of the Father, Son, and Spirit united together. That is what Jesus came to reveal to us, to make God known. In other words, Jesus is the sparkle of the divine. He's the one who reveals God to us. Do you want to behold the glory of God? As we gather for worship, do we come longing to behold God's glory? That is what is offered to us. To behold his glory by faith as the word is preached, as we sing hymns of praise, God meets with us to reveal himself in the gospel. Do we long to behold God's glory? Behold Christ. Behold Christ. John Owen said that there is a blessed representation made unto us all of all the holy properties of the nature of God. So all of the attributes of God where are they made known? Where is the representation made? He says, of his wisdom, his power, his goodness, grace, and love, his righteousness, truth, and holiness, his mercy, patience, which is seen and known only in the face of Jesus. Jesus is beautiful. He is beauty itself. And when you behold his glory, your hearts are drawn to it. Our hearts are drawn to him, to worship him, to love him. That's what conversion is. It's beholding Christ for the first time, and you're drawn to him, to love him as he has loved you. Jesus is beauty and glory itself. And by beholding his glory, we behold the glory of God. We are able to say in Song of Songs 1 with the Shulamite, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. 
Can you say that of Christ? Do you say that of Christ? You are truly delightful. You are beautiful. In fact, this is what Paul's opponents in Corinth couldn't see. They couldn't see the far surpassing glory of God in the new covenant. All they could see was a suffering, a suffering man on the cross. They looked at one who was weak. As they looked upon cross, they didn't see anything to admire of him. Isaiah 53 says, He has no form of majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Apart from faith, you look upon Christ, what do you see? You see weakness. That's what our culture looks at. They looked at Paul the same way. Paul, you're an imposter. You're speaking of a gospel about suffering. We want power. We want glory now. Paul says, no, there's suffering now. Glory will follow. Because the glory of God is made known in Christ, the suffering of Christ on the cross, so that we would be glorified in Him. You see, why don't others see Jesus as glorious? Well, that's what sin does. It blinds our eyes. There's a veil over our eyes. There's the satanic blinding of unbelief. Why don't they see Jesus as glorious and beautiful? That's what unbelief is from an aesthetic perspective. Unbelief is the incapability of seeing what is beautiful. They're incapable of seeing it. If God is glorious and beautiful, then unbelief is the incapability of seeing what is true and good and beautiful. They're unable to perceive the glory of Christ. But for us, by the Spirit of God, we come to perceive what is truly good and beautiful. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. This is, rather he is, the object of our beholding. We need to set our gaze upon the one who is glorious, Jesus Christ. And so firstly, we are to behold his glory. He is the object, the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we still have to ask ourselves, how do we behold his glory? Which leads to our, our second point. Secondly, the means of beholding. How do sinners come to behold his glory if unbelief is the incapability of perceiving what is beautiful? How do, we, how do sinners come to behold the glory of Christ? Well, we're told in verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When we turn to God in faith, we're unable to see his beauty. The veil has been removed and we can behold God. But we still have to ask, how does one turn? Well, verse 18, it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So how do we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ? It comes from the Lord. It's a gift of the Spirit where the Spirit enables us. He removes the veil so that we would turn by faith and behold the glory of Christ in the gospel. In fact, this is the work of the Spirit. He's the Spirit of the Lord. Now this could be the Lord's Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ's Spirit. And theologically that is true. It's Christ's Spirit as He ascended on high. He receives the fullness of the Spirit. He's exalted and He pours out the Spirit upon the church. 1 Corinthians 15.45 The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving Spirit. 
So Jesus is the second Adam who was raised from the dead, and he enables and gives the gift of his spirit to his church. But I think more here, it's speaking about the Lord being, or the spirit being the Lord as being divine. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is the Lord. He is sovereign. And his sovereign work is to restore sinners. His sovereign work is to remove the veil so that they would behold. Sinners would behold the glory of Jesus. Jesus himself said he would send the Spirit. And in sending the Spirit who is the Lord, he would open up our eyes. He would give us a new nature so that we would be drawn to him. In order to have a sight of Christ, that is what we need. We need new eyes. We need a new nature. We need to be enlightened by the Spirit. We need to be born again, regenerated. And this is what Paul says as he goes on in chapter 4. The God who said, let there be light, and there was light. What does he do? He sovereignly speaks light into us to give us that sight. He sovereignly and graciously restores our sight, removes the veil so that we would behold the one who is glorious. In fact, this is why we have a prayer of illumination. Where wherever you have it in your service, we, we pray for the preaching of the word of God. We pray for illumination, for the spirit to enlighten us. That we are dependent upon the spirit of God to give us a sight of his glory. We're unable on ourselves to do so. Every time we come to the word of God, we're dependent upon the spirit to work through the inspired scripture to give us true sight. So we come and we pray, Lord, give us a sight of the glory of Christ. This is what the Spirit does. One commentator said what the Corinthians perceived as undesirable and pathetic was in fact irresistibly beautiful. Once perceived aright. That's the gospel that we proclaim, the Christ that we proclaim. He is irresistibly beautiful once perceived our right, once perceived by faith, by our new natures, once being restored back, back into the image of Christ, we are unable to behold his glory. How do we behold? We perceive it by faith. His beauty draws us to himself. He gives us faith to see himself as glorious. And so our minds cannot but know him as glorious and our wills cannot but follow him once his beauty is seen. His beauty draws out our affections from us. Once you behold the glory of Christ, you cannot but love him. That's what beauty does. You see something that's truly beautiful, you're drawn to it. And the one who is glorious draws us to himself so that we would love him. The Spirit works in our heart, not because we are already beautiful, but because Christ is beautiful. And because Christ is beautiful, he opens up our eyes to be restored to him, to be irresistibly drawn to him. Samuel Parkin says, when the Holy Spirit regenerates a sinner, he enables us to behold the beauty of the Trinity mediated through Christ. We behold the beauty of the Trinity through faith in Jesus. As the author of Hebrews says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
In fact, I believe that the whole Christian life is a life of contemplation of the beauty and glory of Jesus. It's more than just contemplating when we think of that language of a monk sitting there contemplating. But it's not less than contemplation. It's contemplating the beauty and glory of Jesus so that in beholding him, then our wills would be moved to follow him. But we need to have this sight. We need to have what one commentator says is the glad-hearted contemplation of the Trinity's irresistible beauty. And so we're drawn to him with this glad-hearted contemplation. We love to contemplate the beauty of Jesus because we love him as he has loved us. So what do we behold as we behold the glory of Jesus? Well, we behold the beauty of his divine nature. We see that he is the eternal son of God who's come in the flesh. We behold that he is glory itself, the one who's eternally begotten from the Father. We behold that he is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. But even more so, we've become to behold the glory of his incarnation. That this one glorious God assumed our nature, our flesh. He became like us in every way without sin. And we behold his glory in the incarnation. We marvel at it. The infinite God taking on finite flesh for us and for our salvation. We become to behold the glory of his mediation. He is both God and man, perfectly united together in one person. We behold the office of his mediation. He's prophet, priest, and king. The one who comes to remove our alienation, our ignorance, and to reconcile us back to God. We become to behold the beauty of his work upon the cross. We see now the beauty of the cross where the justice and mercy of God kiss. We see God's glory revealed in the Son as he lays down his life for us. The power of God displayed in weakness. The wisdom of God displayed in foolishness. And yet we behold his glory. Again, have you beheld the glory of God? Look to Christ in the gospel. We behold Christ and we're drawn to him. And so the Spirit gives us faith and gives us this enlightened faith of a sight of the glory of God in Christ. The only way to behold the glory of God is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as he's proclaimed in the gospel. Let's come to our third and final point this afternoon. Thirdly then, the effects of beholding. This sight is transformative. This is what Paul is getting at. He wants us to be transformed. He wants the Corinthian church to live a life worthy of the gospel. And he says, this is the means. By beholding Jesus, we will be transformed. This is the means of our sanctification. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. To be transformed is to have this inward change, this progressive change, progressively sanctified into the image of Christ. I thought of two illustrations here to speak of this transformation, one greater than the other. The first is that of a caterpillar. You think of a caterpillar and the metamorphosis that takes place. You have this 
ugly caterpillar, but it goes in the cocoon. It's transformed into this beautiful butterfly. Our God is just amazing what he does. His beauty displayed in creation. That is the same with us. We are, we are the ugly caterpillar, yet we come and are united to Christ. And we are transformed and are beautiful. A better illustration, a more biblical one even, is that we are transformed like Christ was in the transfiguration. In the transfiguration. The same word used for transformation is that of transfiguration. You remember when Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and they they see him there talking with Moses of the Old Covenant. And what does he see? They see him transfigured before him. They behold this glory of the eternal Son of God in a, a picture of the glory of the resurrected Christ. They see this Jesus transfigured before him, and they're in awe. They, they don't know what to say as they behold his glory. Peter says they heard the voice from heaven and they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The majesty of Jesus. Jesus' face shone in all of his glory and his clothes became white as light. Not only is that a picture of Jesus' glory, but in fact it's a picture of our glory. It's a picture of our glory because we are glorified in Christ. We are to be transformed from one degree of glory to another in him as he was transfigured before him. So we will be transfigured into that same image, recreated and renewed into the image of the glory of God in Christ. It's a picture of what God was intending to do with sinful humanity to restore us in Jesus. That is the picture of where we're headed. That's the picture of the Christian life, Christ transfigured before us. And how are we transformed then? By beholding him in the gospel. As we behold Christ, we're being transformed into his likeness. As he is holy, as we behold his holiness, his consecration to God, we are being transformed to be like him. To be holy as he is holy. What do we see in the gospel? We see his hatred for sin. He stood at every point against sin. He hated sin. He was repulsed by its ugliness. He sought after that which was good and beautiful. In the same way now as we behold it in Christ, we are being transformed to hate what is sinful and to love what is good. As we behold his humility in the gospel, brothers and sisters, how could we be proud? As we behold his selflessness, how could we be greedy? When we behold his compassion, how could we be cold? Or his passion and remain indifferent? Oh, the beholding of Christ in the gospel transforms us to be like him. Our hearts are drawn to him. Paul says that this process is progressive. We are being transformed. We've not yet arrived. We have not yet been glorified. But we are being progressively sanctified day by day through the Word of God by His Spirit. I know for some of us, as we look at our lives, we don't always see the fruit of sanctification. It's not always as fast as we want it. We look upon our own hearts and We wish we didn't have those same struggles. We wish we were further along than we once were. 
But you look back over the years, and you can see by the grace of God, you're not, you're not who you once were. You've been transformed by the Spirit of God. Yes, sometimes it's slower than we want, but the Lord keeps us dependent upon Him. And it keeps us to come back to Him, to come to the fountain of the means of grace to be restored. The Christian life is not a victorious Christian life. It's a life of continual repentance, continually looking unto Jesus, continually turning from sin to behold the glory of Christ in the gospel. And where are we headed? Paul says it's glory. To be glorious. The glory of God makes us glorious to reflect his glory in the new creation. What Adam was supposed to do in creation, it's even far better now in Christ. As we reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world. And the more we come to behold the glory of God, the more, brothers and sisters, we will love him and desire him. The more we will desire to behold his glory. Until one day, as the hymn says, we will be lost in wonder, love, and praise. One day we will receive the fullness of this glory in Christ. As John says, 1 John 3, But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We know the end. The end is glory in Christ. One well, of our closing minutes here, let's just make a few applications for us. And as Paul does to the church, I continue to do this afternoon. He is continuing exhorting the church to behold the glory of God in the gospel. That is what we need. We ought to contemplate the glory of God in the gospel. Meditate upon his beauty. Meditate upon the gospel and the beauty of Christ in the gospel. As you hear the word of God week in and week out from this pulpit, from your pastors, take that word, preach and meditate, contemplate the beauty of Christ. Speak about his beauty. That which we love, we will be drawn to. We'll long to think of him. What does the church need to grow? The church doesn't need more programs, more methods. We don't need newer schemes. That's not what we need. We come here with with many different sins, many afflictions, many addictions even. We, we have struggles of all kinds. And what do we need in overcoming this? Certainly we need the law applied to us to demonstrate we're sinners. We need to know how we ought to live before God. But more than that, we need the gospel. We need the gospel that demonstrates the freeness we have in Christ that enables us, it frees us to live unto the Lord in obedience to him. What do we need? We need to behold the glory of God in Christ. That is what we need. Paul says that sight of Christ in the gospel will transform you. Not just a list of rules, do this and don't do this. Behold Jesus. And you'll be like him. That is the process of sanctification. John Owen says when the mind is filled with thoughts of Christ and his glory, when the soul thereon cleaves unto him with intense affection, Affection, they will cast out those causes of spiritual weakness and indisposition. Nothing will so much excite and encourage our souls as a constant view of Christ and his glory. We need a greater desire for Christ so that those lesser desires for the world, lesser beauties, they're all fade away. 
when we behold Jesus. And so maybe you come here and you feel that you are not growing as you ought to. You're in a, a spiritual rut. The process of sanctification seems slow. Just ask yourself, are you beholding Christ? Too often we're beholding ourselves. We're looking inward when we're called to look outward. Behold Jesus. Do you behold the glory of Christ and his word? Utilize the means of grace. Come to the service whenever they're here preaching and teaching the word of God. Sit under that fountain. That is where we hear of this glorious gospel and see the glory of Christ. Michael Horton says, Beholding God means beholding Christ. And beholding Christ means hearing his gospel and receiving it through baptism and the Lord's Son. It's not hard. It takes faith. It takes the Spirit. It takes God's sovereign work. But it's not difficult. We don't have to come up with new means, new methods. It's the preaching of the Word of God. They're receiving it through baptism in the Son. God sanctifies us. And He causes us to reflect His glory in the world. And thus we use the means of prayer. Prayer is a means of grace. And we ought to come praying that the Lord would give us a greater sight of Christ. We ought to pray as Moses prayed, show me your glory. Or David prayed, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. And as we come expectant that God would transform us through a sight of his glory, we know that we will be transformed until one day we will behold the glory of God, no longer by faith, but by sight by beholding the risen, exalted Lord Jesus. And in him we will be like. We will reflect his glory to one another throughout the new creation for all eternity. Do you want to behold the glory of God? Look unto Jesus. May he be glorified as he gives us a greater sight of himself. Amen. Let's pray. our great and glorious God. We know that words cannot fully do justice to who you are. You are incomprehensibly great. And yet we thank you and praise you that you have revealed yourself to us, not only in the glory of creation, but in the glory of the gospel, in the face of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would show us your glory, that you would open up our eyes to behold the glory of God in, in Him. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would cause us to turn from lesser glories, lesser goods, to turn from looking inward and to turn outward to you, and that in beholding your glory you would transform us. Sanctify your people here. Sanctify your church so that we, in reflecting your glory, would magnify your holy name. Lord, we do pray that you would use the weakness of your word and the foolishness of preaching to, in fact, save sinners, to remove the veil, and to give your people a greater sight of Jesus. May you be glorified, Lord, through this church, in this place, from this pulpit, in weeks and months and years to come, as the gospel is proclaimed, and as your people behold your glory.
until one day we will be with you. The church of Christ perfected in glory, glorifying you in all its fullness as we will be like him. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.